Hey everybody, Mark Ahrensberg here with The Pure Now Show. This is episode number 23. My guest today is Amanda Russell. Amanda is the co-founder and creative director of animation at Cream Studio in Richmond, Virginia. Amanda talks a lot about being a woman in a senior creative position and all the challenges that go along with that. Here we go. Hey, Amanda. Hey. <laughs> hey, Mark. What's going on? <laughs> oh, you know, just doing the Pure Now show with you. I really appreciate that you spent some time to uh, come on and talk to me about some things and some stuff. I cannot wait to talk about things and stuff with you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. Well, we're happy to have you on the show and especially happy because we're really doing our best to be more gender friendly in a maybe not so gender friendly industry. And it's really awesome to have you on as a creative director, as someone in senior creative management. And we actually have had a lot more female guests on the show. And that's a good thing. It's intentional. Part of why we're talking to you, aside from the fact that you're an incredibly gifted creative professional and have this amazing studio that produces award-winning, beautiful work, we want to find out about you, the person, Amanda, and how you arrived at where you're at and what that looks like from your vantage point. Yeah, well, first I'll start off saying I appreciate you bringing more of the female faces onto your show. I have two other business partners. One is Dave Swain, and he is a man, as his name sounds. And then I have my other partner, Ruth Newberry Wilson. And I think for a long time, we just assumed we were the only female animators around. And uh, it's nice to start seeing more and more bubble up. And I like the fact that people are reaching out, not just because we're female, but because we, uh, at least I hope we are, <laughs> we are talented as well. That's a big part of it. So, you know, if there are any female animators out there listening, you know, keep pushing, keep going. You've got this massive community behind you that you just might not know about quite yet, but they're out there. So feel free to reach out to me if you, if you have questions. That's for the ladies only. Sorry, guys. Along the lines of that subject matter, let's go back to when you were a youth and how this journey may have started for you. You know, usually people have some kind of a creative spark. They've been inspired by some event or something or somebody that pointed them in this direction. Give us an idea of how this creative journey started for you and how you embarked on where you are now today. Sure, so to be honest, I fell into animation at a time when animation wasn't as popular as it is today. So I was always very creative growing up. I've got a very creative family. Both of uh, my brother and my sister, they're naturally gifted artists and same thing with both of my parents. So growing up in school, really I wasn't interested in anything except art class. <laughs> I had not so great grades and, and everything else. So art was sort of my saving grace. I remember going to the school counselor and being like, I don't know what I wanna do. And she said, be a graphic designer. You can make $40,000. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna be so rich with that $40,000. That was a long time ago. So as I graduated from high school, I went into community college and I couldn't really afford university. My dad was a Navy SEAL. My mom was about to retire. So college was 
sort of my burden to handle. So I opted for the cheapest route, which was community college. But I graduated with a graphic design associate's degree. And then in tandem, really wanted to freelance. I knew that I wanted to just make logos. I had been doing logos for my friends like since high school. So I was like, I got this. I can totally figure this out. So I started freelancing like while I was in college. And then once I got out of college or community college, I was sort of on my own. I think that's when I realized like, oh crap, this is real. Uh, I have to figure this out. I cannot survive <laughs> on what I'm making. So I started looking for real jobs and I actually landed a job at a place here in Richmond called Media General and it was essentially a hub for a news station and there were 19 news stations all up and down the eastern seaboard in the United States that this graphics hub serviced. So I was in one big basement room with 20 other brand new hires. We were all artists and some of us were animators. Um, I wasn't yet at the time and I was just sort of uh, a designer. So we worked there for about two years and I say we because that's where I met my one partner Ruth Newberry. It's where we actually met and got inspired together and it was clear we did not want to have that kind of job. It was very restrictive it was boring. <laughs> I'm very grateful for that job because it led me to the next step, to working at a production company. And when I worked there, I was actually hired as an animator. I had been doing tutorials. That's where I learned everything, is online tutorials. And uh, really pushed myself to figure things out. I tend to be like a tinkerer on my own. I fix everything in my house. I like to figure things out. And so animation is very much like that. There's so many problems that can happen in an animation. So it all kind of gelled with me. I just kind of understood it. And so then working at that production studio, great people, not my cup of tea. It was a lot of local stuff that we were creating and I wanted something more creative, always. I kept feeling like I need I, I need something more creative. And at the same time, my partner, Ruth Newberry, was at a different production studio. And we were just kind of talking about maybe going freelance together. And that's when it all hit. That's when it became crystal clear what I was gonna do forever. Because once we started freelancing and picking and choosing the kinds of projects we wanted to work on, that's where we could pour ourselves into this process and make things that we were super duper proud of. And so, you know, within six months of going freelance, maybe even three months of going freelance, we had talks of, of a studio. And uh, that's where we are today. You're listening to The Pure Now Show, a creative podcast for creatives presented by Balance. And speaking of your studio, I really love the name Cream Studio. It's a great name. Thank you. And, uh, and you know, the cream rises to the top, right? Is that where it came from or what was the origin of your name? Sort of. There are many interpretations, some not so savory. <laughs> We've had a few people be like, is this a sex thing? And we're like, no, it's not a sex thing. Not at all. At the time of our inception, back in, gosh, 2013, our part working with a lot of production studios was mainly the very end. We finished 
the project with motion graphics or with, you know, whatever we were doing, whatever we were adding to that project. And so for us, it was like the finishing touch because everything is better with cream. That's That was kind of like our motto going in. Like we will kind of add one thing that pluses the project. So we really liked that. And then a lot of people have said, oh, creme de la creme or cream of the crop. And I think we were always scared of that kind of thinking because we never wanted anyone to think that we thought we were better than anyone else. That was never it. In fact, it was always the opposite. We always thought we were crap. <laughs> yeah, but cream makes crap even taste good. So there you go. I mean, that's true. You're the cream in my coffee. That's I all mean, I'm saying. We're the cream of the crap. That's, that's what funny. it is. <laughs> that's actually a really good tagline that you will probably not find in advertising anywhere. I will make a t-shirt out of it. I think that's it's pretty we'll good do. branding. Uh, it's all about <laughs> the unexpected tagline, not the expected tagline. I love it. Right. Well, what's funny <laughs> is Hi Ha and I were actually looking at a piece of yours several months ago unknowingly. Uh, that it was connected to you before we were aware of you. And it's the piece, the 2D piece you did for Lungs. Lungs, Lungs and, and you. you. Great 2D animation, just really nicely executed. And then when I went to go looking through your work and it presented itself, I was a bit taken aback that this was your shop that actually produced this work. Not that I was surprised at the quality, but the fact that Haiha and I had seen this piece several months ago and then it, it resurfaced in connection to you was a very nice surprise. Well, that's great. It's good to hear that piece was uh, actually this time last year. I was still working on it. I think we were finishing it up. I was the creative lead on that project and I had a team of amazing animators and designers underneath. And that was a fun process. It was a great client. The stars sort of aligned with us on that one. And since then, we've actually gotten more interest based on that project alone. It just goes to show you when the budget is there, when the timeline is there, when the creative is there, and the client allows you to be creative without restriction, magic can happen. When the client trusts you, magic can happen. And that's what happened. I love that piece. I thought it was a lot of fun to create. So thank you for the kind Yeah, words. sure. I mean, I'm only speaking the truth. It's very strong and, uh, that piece, and there's, I think, a water piece, uh, a couple of 2D animated pieces that I'm uh, a big fan of, and especially coming from Balance Studio, where our primary um, uh, creative output is 2D animation, so I have a, a special love for 2D. And I would imagine that with COVID and, and all the changes that have taken place in the industry that perhaps your 2D button has been turned on a little bit or at least digital content has increased more because of the lack of ability to do live action shooting and because of the cost effectiveness and because of the unlimited latitude of storytelling that animation provides. Are, are you finding that you are getting more juicy projects, more clients are open to telling their brand story that way? Definitely. It's a very exciting time to be an animator or a designer, even any kind of animator, really, because there's so much work for every different level of execution. We saw a huge surge, not immediately last year, but right around July, which is typically our slow season. But last year was definitely not typical. So I think everyone realized like, well, we still have these marketing dollars. We have to spend them or we're going to lose them. So they came in really heavy in around July. And then third quarter and fourth quarter were just, it was wall to wall. It was 
pure chaos. And that's pretty consistent, you know, with every other shop that we're friends with and we get to talk to. This year was was a little bit more inconsistent. I thought that we could take last year as some sort of a carbon copy and go, okay, well, it's going to be sort of like this. But there were ebbs and flows that we hadn't seen before with the previous year or years prior to that. So it, this year was its own sort of anomaly. We've had a lot of clients come out of the woodwork and big clients that we're like really excited to work with. They're giving us a chance, probably because uh, everyone else is so busy, but we're gonna take that opportunity 100%. I don't care if it's because we were the only ones available at that moment, we're still growing. And those opportunities only come at certain times. And so because of those opportunities, we've landed a couple of vendor lists for large organizations and large corporations. So it's all working out. It really does stink for our friends in production who, you know, they're just not getting the work that they need to survive. But, you know, the flip side of that is that the animation world is thriving. And, and really needs more animators and designers. On that note, because of that part of the industry is thriving, that's kind of a bell ringer for young creative professionals who are trying to figure out where they wanna be and to gauge their ability to be successful. Clearly, animation, that's it going forward for the most part. I mean, yes, live action will come back to some degree, but we've kind of instilled these behavior patterns in clients to expect to make animations and the viewers are used to seeing animation and it's an exciting medium because it's unlimited in its capacity to tell stories there's no boundaries associated with it like live action so it's pretty interesting that a lot of shops became covid proof because of they just happened to be able to produce content digital content that was still viable in a time when other ways of developing content just kind of went away for the moment. Yeah, exactly. Well, and um, one other thing is that we are actively telling young people who are still in that, you know, what what do I want to do phase of their their career? We're telling them like, go into animation, go into design. This is not a phase. Even if it dies down, there's still going to be so much work to be had. And the pathway to get there is relatively short. You could be either in school or you could do a, a list of tutorials for you know a short amount of time, six months to a year, to get to the point where you're at least getting paid for that kind of work. And then you just grow from there. So I find it amazing that so many parents are still a little bit unsure about you know putting their kids into an animation major or something like that because they they just don't think it's a sustainable career path and that is just not true at all there are animators crushing it right now as you know and designers they can charge a premium these days because there's such a labor shortage well, that's the thing that's changed and that's only recent history because animators were slaves for the longest time especially in the gaming yeah. industry But that whole thing is flipped, and now it's an employee's market versus an employer's market, which is great because it is about Mm -hmm. reestablishing that value and correcting the market, if you will, because people were taken advantage of. It was big news in all kinds of creative publications how a lot of these artists were working 20 hours a day and making almost no money, but because they loved what they did and because they wanted to do the work, 
They were willing to work for slave owners, essentially. But yes, there is definitely yeah. a shift because there is so much more content development now and it's supply and demand that yes, if you start getting in there and getting it done within a year, you know, you could be making a good wage and calling your own hours and working remote and having a good life and doing your thing, man. Yeah, and you're not gonna be amazing right away. No one is, it takes a lot of work. One thing that everyone needs to know as an animator especially is that you are always learning. There is no limit to learning because there are constantly new styles, new trends, new plugins, new technology. So if you commit to being an animator, you're committing to a lifelong journey of learning. You have to love it because otherwise you'll just be frustrated all the time. <laughs> yeah, and the technology is constantly changing and improving. So it really is incumbent upon yeah. you to stay on top of it because not only is it good for you, it's good for your client to be able to pass along this knowledge and leverage the technology to give better solutions for your clients so you can remain viable and, uh, and needed. Absolutely, yes. So let's talk about running a shop and having partners and the complexities involved with that. I think maybe one of the most challenging parts, especially for me as a producer, is client management even more so than maybe time management or talent management. It's making sure that the client is getting what they need and still yeah. having a professional integrity and love for what you're doing and producing for the client. And in order to grow, you've had to learn how to be a good client manager. And what does that look like for you? When we first started, I should mention, you know, we were all freelancers and it was, like I said, there were actually four of us at the time. Since then, we've gone down to three partners um, and each partner was an active animator on, on projects as well as a designer. So we were all kind of doing the projects ourselves. We had no producer. We were essentially acting like four freelancers in the same studio. It took us a while to figure out that in order to be treated like a studio, you have to act like a studio. So we pulled in a producer. She's a good friend of ours, and she really whipped us into shape and helped us understand the client side of things and how to manage the client so that you're not constantly going out of scope or not always saying yes or not always saying no. So the way that we look at most of our clients is we are all on the same team. We all have the same goal. It is not us against them. At first, it was sort of that way, or it could easily lean that way. And then eventually we were like, what are we thinking? Clients are our livelihood. So within six months, we overhauled our thinking and it really improved our process, our creative process and the lines of communication and also referrals. I mean, the majority of our business now is based off of referrals because someone enjoyed working with us and so they tell someone else. So the power of referrals is incredible because let me, I know I'm going on a, a little sales rant here, but something to note, you know, if, if you are a freelancer, or if you own a studio, then you might know that reaching out to a bunch of new clients the reactions that you're going to get or the responses that you're going to get are, you know, it might be one out of 10, maybe if you're lucky, or they might respond to you, but you're never going to get a project from them. On the other hand, if you get a referral, if someone is saying, hey, I trust these guys, they were awesome. 
you're probably going to get a referral from the person that, that asked for one because it, there's a level of trust, there's a baseline, and there's magic there. So when you're treating your clients right, <clears throat> they're going to tell people. And if you're not treating them right, they're going to tell people. So keep that in mind. It's a double-edged sword. So if we have a client or even a project that seems maybe doomed from the beginning, we just try to get through it as gracefully as we can. And then, you know, we don't point fingers or, you know, stir the pot. That's not our role. We're trying to get to the goal, which is getting our client content that they can use, that they are proud of and we are proud of. After that, if we decide, you know what, this client isn't a good fit for us because of X, Y, and Z, then we choose not to work with them. But being graceful throughout the process is so important for the reasons I just said, because they're going to tell their friends if it was great, they're going to tell their friends if it was terrible. And that matters to your business. You're listening to The Pure Now Show, a creative podcast for creatives presented by Balance. Yeah, the best business you can get is referral business. It's almost a slam dunk because you don't have to pitch. You just have to bid and that's it. And that's really so much easier than pounding the pavement on cold calls and which is very low percentage of success but referrals are almost a hundred percent and uh just make people happy and then uh, they'll tell two friends and you can make those people happy you can look at your customer service process as your sales effort i mean nothing substitutes sales a hundred percent but If you're getting enough referrals because you treat your clients right, you probably don't have to do a whole lot of sales. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, there's more work than selling. And you don't want to be selling all the time. You want the work to sell itself and people to just come knock on your door and go, hey, I saw that thing you did and it's great and we want that. But not every client is easy. I think as you stated, doing things with grace is critical. And that's probably the challenge of working with a client that's not as easy to work with. But at least when you do it with grace, you go in knowing that even though maybe it was a challenge, the client can own up to the fact that they did it with grace. We had some challenges, but we got what we wanted in the end and everybody was smiles. So Mm -hmm. either way, it's really important that you're on your game, of course, and that you make the uh, engagement as positive as possible. Right. And look at it as a challenge. You know, you, you can say, okay, well, this is my challenge today. If I can get through this gracefully, if I can get through this email gracefully, if I can get through this project gracefully, then I get to ascend to the next level. You know, like play that game with yourself because it does pay off. And it took me a long time to really fully understand it. I'm head of sales, quote unquote, at the studio. Of course, we have an outside salesperson now, but for a long time, that's all I, I did along with creative direction. So there were a lot of things that I was like, what am I doing wrong? I'm reaching out to people. Why don't they like our work, you know? And realistically, it's like when you get an email and you know, a random email, it's like, okay, well, that's great. You know, this person sent me their link. That's awesome. But if it's not the perfect time for that person to need that kind of work, then they're not going to remember you. That's just kind of how it it, it goes. Well, and speaking of that, in a sales position, what is your strategy to make it memorable? Because people are inundated with emails Mm -hmm. and 
I mean, it's got to be ridiculous at this point. There's LinkedIn. There's so many ways to discover people. And usually, like you said, through a referral is the best way to be introduced to somebody. But even going out and hitting the pavement to try and find new clients seems like it's almost futile. Now, I can say this from personal experience, even with working with Balance, we're doing much better off of referrals and repeat business than trying to go get somebody because that seems almost not possible these days. Yeah, I agree. It's so three, four years ago, we would schedule meetings out of state and I would meet all of these different companies that were in the same market and then I'd go back and I would type them up and hey, it was really nice to meet you let's get drinks later but now that's not really possible or I mean it is but it's not really comfortable and honestly I'm at the point where you know I'm working from home we're fully remote I don't want to leave my house anymore <laughs> And I, I feel like other people feel the same way. I don't want to burden them with saying, hey, let's go do this. And they don't really know me. And I could just easily do a capabilities deck or a presentation with them if they want. Every client or potential client, they're all individual people. They have preferences to either just see a capabilities deck on their own time, or maybe they want to jump on a call with you and get to know the person that you are, who they're going to be dealing with. So I think the trick is... For me, I try not to bombard people with our work. I feel like the cold emails are outdated, although sometimes they are appropriate. Just depends on the day. So what I tend to do, for example, on LinkedIn or, or wherever, if I see someone that seems like they would be a good fit as a client, I might reach out to them just to say, hello, I'd like to connect with you. Maybe we have some shared interests or something like that and then kind of leave it there if they connect with me great if they don't then that's fine that's their preference but moving forward i try to get to know that person a little bit not like in a stalker way but like you know i look at their interests and i i try to understand that person as an individual where they went to school what their company does what kind of work their company does and where their pinch points might be. And so then maybe after we've seen each other on LinkedIn for a few months and we've commented on each other's posts, then I might reach out and say, hey, I just wanted to reintroduce myself and then kind of take it from there. If it is a cold invitation to connect on LinkedIn with a five page explanation of what they do, I'm probably not going to read it. So I know someone else is not going to read it if I do the same thing. So just keep things brief and try to take it in phases. Sales is not about immediate gratification, especially in this industry. Our sales funnel takes about six months to two years to come to fruition. And that's just the reality. It can be very frustrating too, because people want results. And it's exactly what you just said. It requires a lot of tenacity and patience and fortitude and all these things that uh, makes... And, and luck. A uh, lot of luck. Luck is a part yeah, of it Yeah, because it's, it's luck of yeah. the draw. It's luck of timing, of hitting somebody when they need something. Because yes. when people don't need anything, they don't want to be sold anything either. So, um, and that's right. just, again, luck of the draw. But mm -hmm. now that we have this whole new world that we live in, where you get to be at home and things have obviously shifted tremendously in every which way but loose. So prior to the pandemic, 
What was kind of your strategy? How did you guys operate? And then post-pandemic, how has it all changed? And is it better? Uh, is it worse? I mean, because all kinds of fallout has occurred from this and uh, it's been unavoidable and you either have to change and evolve on the fly with whatever's being presented or get left in the dust. Yeah, and on the heels of what you just said, I just wanted to say this little quote that I heard the other day. Every day you can wake up and you can either repeat or evolve. So that's something to kind of consider when you are preparing for your day as a, an animator or someone in this industry. You have to choose to evolve because you're gonna get left behind if you don't. So before the pandemic, we had a brick and mortar studio in downtown Richmond, Virginia, and we loved it. We loved our space. It was super cool. It was like in a perfect spot. And we had been there since we started the company. When the pandemic hit, obviously we, we didn't go in. So it was about a full year that we didn't go into the studio. So we decided we, we're gonna go fully remote. We're gonna get, not sign another extension on the lease. And we're so glad that we did because what that has afforded us is more flexibility at home, more hours in the seat. I know that sounds counterintuitive, but before when we were all together in the same space, we would actually screw around a lot and just like talk and you know what I mean? And it's fun, it's great, but we actually weren't doing a lot of working, especially we, we would go out to lunch and we'd be like, hey, you know, let's get a margarita. Not every day, but you know, once a week or something. And then you realize, you know, where'd my day go? So this shift is actually like far better just in terms of my own comfort and, and my partner's comfort, but also for our, our work situation. We're so much more focused. We get things done way quicker. We make decisions faster. There's less drama between everybody because you're not in their face, you know? You can kind of take a break if you need to. So we really like that side of things. As far as any big changes of how we function, let me start out with how we functioned before. So there are three co-founders and creative directors. I handle most of the 2D projects. My partner, Ruth, handles most of the 3D projects. And then our partner, Dave, he's a generalist. He can do either one. He's just kind of great at everything. So because we didn't have any animators on staff besides ourselves, we liked having variation in our work. So we would pull in specific artists or create teams that were kind of, you know, spread out all over the world to make sure that it would be the a custom fit for that project. You know, whatever that budget or timeline was, that's how we worked. So we were already set up to work with freelance teams way before COVID hit. And that really benefited us because we didn't have to worry about having everyone on salary when things were really, really tight in the beginning of 2020. But what I will say is it's becoming increasingly more difficult to not have staff animators because of the labor shortage. So it's twofold. It's great to not have a huge staff when times are slow or normal, but they're not right now. It's extremely busy and there's a massive labor shortage. So we have a 3D artist on staff and we're starting to pull more long-term contracts because it's really hard to find teams that have not already been scooped up. So that's the challenge for us right now. What about uh, developing your own talent? 
as far as like pulling them in and training yeah, them? Yeah, I mean, you know, ownership has its privileges and uh, I'm just spitballing, but I'm just saying there's obviously people sure. that have really good raw talent and have a certain level of skill set that can be molded into uh, something that you could use and own for a while. Definitely. We've considered that. We have pulled in an intern before, but the process just was too difficult with the way that we're currently set up. And it's mostly because we, as owners, are so time strapped because <laughs> we have so many hats that we have to wear. So training someone would be an additional commitment we just don't have right now. So that's probably something that in order to get to the next step, we have to think outside the box. If we can't find someone, let's make someone. So I think that that's a great suggestion that I haven't really thought about lately. So thank sure, you, Sure, but you know, <laughs> I'm also thinking in terms of the fact that you're in an office where you have this place where people can come and, and there's that and that's poof, Yeah, that's gone. So that challenges my dismal idea at this point. But I, I would imagine that even in uh, West Virginia, there are uh, temporary placement agencies Virginia. Oh, just Virginia. Just regular, regular Virginia. The regular, okay. the regular kind. Uh, but, yes. but do you work with <laughs> placement agencies, local placement agencies that handle creative talent? Is there such a thing where you are? There are. Um, we haven't found them to be suitable for what we do. Usually what we find, and in, even with some of the universities that are, you know, they, they tout themselves as being, you know, best for animation or best for design. Once they get into this niche of our industry, there's still so much to learn. And so, you know, there's like a, a full year and a half of just kind of absorbing information before they can really jump onto a project. You really need that work experience to be useful. And, and it, it's terrible to say that, but I just don't think that a lot of universities really truly prepare their students to work right out of the gate, at least the ones nearby us. But um, as far as the creative, yeah, yeah, the creative agencies, they can work sometimes, but I think we'd prefer to review portfolios to know that this person has been in the industry before and that they have the kind of work that we're looking for for specific right. projects. It tends to work out a little bit better. Well, and the beauty is too, there's thousands of people online. You can look at books, you can look at portfolios, you could check people's availability. I mean, you don't have any pre-existing relationship with them to know how they're going to work out as a human being in the process, but you right. certainly have plenty of talent globally. And that's another beautiful thing about how everything is working is you're not bound by territory. You don't need to work with somebody in your zip code. You can work with talent anywhere in the world and get amazing results from the diversity of talent that's available, which is, I guess, what you would want to offer your clients anyway, is that not everything looks the same. Your portfolio is, is different. Yeah. You can provide all kinds of looks and feels, and that's very appealing, I would imagine, to a client who is not looking for, you know, the same thing that they could get maybe someplace else. You're listening to The Pure Now Show, a creative podcast for creatives presented by Balance. Yeah, and I, I do feel like that's maybe a differentiator of ours. We've worked hard to really diversify our, our portfolio. And at the same time, I feel like each piece still brings something similar. It's like that, uh, our clients call it the cream effect, which I don't know if I like that term. But um, there's just something about it that feels familiar throughout each piece. 
And um, I think that 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 we're okay with that. We really like that we're bringing something unique to each project that we work on, but we don't want everything to look the same because uh, if that look goes out of style or not everybody wants exactly the same thing, then where does that leave us? So, and, and plus it's so much fun working on things that don't look the same. I love working on something that is a challenge that is so different. Again, going back to the learning portion of our industry, you have to be able to evolve and learn. And if you don't love doing that, it might be really tough to progress in this industry. I see a little tab on your website that says the Cream Academy. Oh, no, really? I just made that up in okay, my head. I didn't really see that. I'm seeing it in my imagination. Oh, okay. I was like, that no, must be it you. is new. I just made it up just this moment. I love it. Let Cream me write it Academy. Down. The Cream Academy. Well, we do have some things yeah. bubbling, but I won't. I you can't mention them. I'll I like get in the trouble. bubble. I'm just bubbling with you. A little bubble in the background is all I'm providing. Background bubble. I like it. It's very effervescent. So let's talk about, too, you've actually bypassed my question of, do you have any advice for young people? No, no, that's good because you have peppered the entire conversation with advice for people who are interested, who are either in the business now or uh, potentially coming into the business. But specifically speaking, as we started the conversation, as a woman in the business, how does it feel for you to be an owner and working with clients? Uh, Do you feel that there's maybe some advantages of being a woman, bringing a different sensibility to communication with clients? Or is it just, uh, you're just a woman, it's just normal, you're being you and you work with clients and, and how would you know anything differently? But it has been, a male-dominated industry like most other industries since the beginning of time. And there have been some shifts in that. As a matter of fact, I see more female graphic designers now, even here in Saigon, than males. I'm seeing a lot of female graphic designers, and that is so cool to me. And not only that, they're really good. Like, they have really good design Mm -hmm. sensibilities, even coming straight out of design school. They seem to be better designers mm-hmm. than uh, than the dudes. And that's just my perception, just based on a limited purview. But I'm fascinated that, that women have decided to go into this industry and that they're experiencing success and they're getting the respect that they deserve for the work that they produce. And there seems to be more females populating creative management all the time now. Yeah, I think in our industry specifically, I feel like there are way more designers or illustrators that are female than male. And and maybe that's just my perception. If there are male designers or illustrators, they tend to be more technical or there's like, there is a more masculine feel to it. And that's great because sometimes you need a more masculine feel and sometimes you need a more feminine design style. So I love the balance that is is arising. As far as animation goes, there's still a huge imbalance. But for me and for Ruth, we never saw it as a problem. And before everybody writes hate mail to me, hold on. <laughs> so when we got into the industry, we didn't really realize like, oh, this is a problem. We kind of saw ourselves as an anomaly, of course, but We didn't realize that so many women had trouble getting into the industry because they were female. 
So that was a big surprise to us and it actually took us a couple of years to really see that there was a bias. But nowadays I feel like there are women that are just so phenomenally talented that you just can't really deny that they are great, if not the best at what they do. So I just don't think it's as problematic as it used to be. Plus there are so many amazing um, groups uh, like Panimation, formerly Pananimation, that really highlights people who identify as female and you know people are going creative directors and agencies are going on there and they're finding all of these women these really talented women and that's where they go now so it's really interesting shift where before it didn't really matter if you were male or female i think that people would hesitate to use you if you were a female because women were kind of untested at that point as far as animators go but nowadays, people are actively searching for female animators to help diversify the project. And I love that inclusion is really starting to become a part of the conversation. Getting back to your first question, which was, how does it feel to be a female owner in this industry? I don't think that at first I wanted to say, I'm a female owner. and you know, you should like us because we're female. It felt really wrong. In my heart and in Ruth's heart, we really wanted to be seen as artists first, as talented people first. And then if you liked the fact that we were also female, then great. So that was really important to us. And so we never blasted that out, you know, that we're female owned to the world until recently. And the reason is because we have a lot of clients that are starting to say, hey, are you guys SWAM certified or are you certified as a women-owned business? Because that's what we're looking for. So who knew? So it's important to us now just to let everybody know like, hey, yes, if that's what you're looking for, then yes, we check that box. But we hope that you're coming to us also because we're talented, right. <laughs> not just because we check a box. And even first and foremost, that you like the work that we produce and it's a plus that we've checked this other box. I mean, uh, exactly. we're hoping that we're not looking for people yeah. just based on their exteriors. Uh, that's That seems a bit odd. Yeah, well, because even that, it feels like you're being used because of the fact that you're female. And so that feels wrong. And yes, it, it's for the betterment of equalizing everything, but it still feels odd to be chosen based on your gender whether it's called out for a good reason or for a bad reason. And I just don't want my gender being the reason why uh, a decision yeah, was like made. It's like human apartheid. I mean, it's very strange actually that we've gone, <laughs> we're so over the edge on everything we do. We cannot just go down the middle and just do the middle way. Everything has to go way right. extremes one side or the other. And there's prices to pay for all that kind of kooky behavior instead of just doing it right. But it did take a few friends in the animation world, that group that I was mentioning, to enlighten me, to help me understand that some women were not getting work at all because they were women. I never saw that problem personally. So I was like, whoa, is this really an issue? And so I'm glad that those women had brought that to my attention because that's unfair as well. You know, like, so either way, there has to be a middle ground and you know just judge someone's work based on their work and if you enjoy working with them that's the other 
really big component is having that communication, having that gel where you're like, yeah, I really like this person. They are a good listener or they're great at, at visualizing something. Those are the components that you really want in someone that you're working with. And that has nothing to do with gender. That's just finding good people to work with. And it's a bonus if they're something that your client's looking for specifically. And have you ever had to go shopping? Like when you are putting a team together, have you had to take these elements into consideration when you're seeking talent so you yes. can give them what they want? Yes. And that feels very strange too. From my point of view, I just don't want to be chosen because I'm a woman only. That's just my take. Someone else might feel differently. Right. But is, is this a way too to potentially discover new people that you would not otherwise yes. discover and not to expose them in a, in a weird way or exploit them, but this may be an opportunity yeah. that would not present itself otherwise because you were forced into finding something that you wouldn't normally be looking for. I definitely agree with you. We can look at the world with a new lens and say, okay, who do we have on our roster? And maybe we need to diversify this more. So yes, I, I love that it opens the door to new talent. I just don't want to exploit anyone because of the way they look. I feel like that's this part that makes me feel icky inside. So yeah, it's just, you have to take it very, very carefully. Yeah, the human business is very strange. It's uh it's a, it's a tightrope, man. It's weird being a person, it's, right? It's the weirdest being a person. And we're not trained to be people. We are, we are completely naive and nope. uneducated around what we are. And uh, it really sets up a lot of failure and discomfort. But, you know, so be it. And we're, we're constantly changing, too. So it's, it's not just learning about our world today. It's about changing the world and evolving with the world as it goes. Well, that's true, too. But, I mean, we don't even know about ourselves. We're not schooled on just the basic functionality of being a person, being a human being. So we're immediately at a loss and struggle and suffer a lot because of our lack mm -hmm. of information, which is just pure foolishness. But don't get me on a tangent because I could go on that one for like a long time. <laughs> I think the best way of handling that is just reading as much as you can. I think reading any book really puts you in a place of empathy because you're, you're seeing or you're reading the world through someone else's perspective. And so it, it opens your heart and your mind to other views of the world. So reading really solves a lot of problems in the world. So do it. Read, I, it. I am <laughs> read everything absolutely. you can. Uh, when, I, when I turned 50, I had not really read for about 25 years. And my closest friend gave me Alan Watts' autobiography called In My Own Way, which is a very complex, long hmm. book. But it set me off on like an eight-year binge of reading the greatest books ever written. And it completely wow. changed my life. There's no question that good literature, good writing can seep into your consciousness and change you if you are a willing yes. participant and ready for that change. You cannot change unless you're ready to change. But if you're willing and you're able to go through a metamorphosis, reading is an incredible tool to drive you down paths you never thought that you would go on. And it makes you better at your job. I, I truly believe that. It makes you better at any relationship you can have. So I yeah, support that. Me too. <laughs> All right, so my final question for you is this. If you could not, for whatever reason, do what you are doing and had to do something entirely different and unrelated, what might that be? 
There's a few things. So I always love doing like monster makeup. My favorite holiday is Halloween. Always has been. I love doing makeup or at least I, I used to do full face, like just weird stuff because it was fun and artsy. So I would like to do the makeup effects for movies or do the set, all of the set design. Love that stuff. I think it's beautiful. Some of my favorite movies have nothing to do with the movie itself. It's everything to do with the visuals or the lighting or the way that the art direction was executed. So something in that world, 100%. Give me a couple examples of, of movies that ticked your box. Okay. The Grinch. I know that that, that one's not that old, but um, The Grinch with yeah. Jim Carrey. The set design, the costumes, everything about that was just incredible. Loved it. This one's kind of funny, but Batman Returns, I think it was Batman Returns, but the costume design, the set design, the lighting, it felt very comic book-esque. It was a cheesy movie and I, uh, you know, I get it. But I loved that feel where they would use the play of light almost in every scene where they would have two-tone light effects and it just felt like I could just jump into that movie. I wanted to live there. Amanda, yeah. it was super fun talking to you. Really appreciate that you took some time out to be on the Pure Now show. And uh, we wish you all the best and keep pumping out that killer work. Thank you. I really appreciate the invitation. It was great talking to you. If you enjoyed the Pure Now show, you can check out more episodes at balancestudio.tv or anywhere fine podcasts are broadcast. Pure Now is produced and engineered by Hai Ha Dang and directed by Dong Wun Guan. Thanks so much for watching.